This week on Grip and Grin. Wedding aligned during the fall months is certainly an overlooked season. We take the time to highlight the laws, regulations, and factors that you will encounter. From getting onto the water to getting into the woods, we aim our sights at the next target. Andrew and I will walk you through our regimented scent control program, and it all starts with understanding the anatomy of the majestic white-tailed deer. The season may start later, but the preparation starts now. And welcome to another episode of Grip and Grin. Here we are, starting our episode 22, and this is going to be, as titled, a mixed bag. Yeah, definitely a mixed bag. We're going to talk about fall fishing, some more whitetail stuff. We've been bombarding you with whitetail content via the podcast and Instagram. Make sure to check out the Instagrams. Posting weekly uh, photos from our camera polls, and as always, share with your friends. Like and subscribe contact us dm us all the above you know we're gonna we're keep coming at you with content hopefully you're enjoying it we enjoy your feedback positive or negative just throw it out our way you know yeah (laughs) we got a lot of weight a lot we've come a long ways and we still have a lot more to do so but i'll tell you one thing i got the i got the bug real bad like real bad as always. I, I always had the bug to go fishing. So, you know. But this is something that we've discussed in the past. We've talked about, um, you know, we threw around the idea. I think it was when we were on our um, northern trip in, this past spring. And we were discussing, like, you know, during hunting season, you know, in Maine, we can only hunt, um, you know, Monday through through Saturday. And you can't hunt on Sundays. And I was like, dude, we should totally take advantage of those days, Sundays. We should fish those days. And it's the same down here in Mass. You can't hunt on Sundays down here. So I, we both have been talking about, like, they do stock, you know, in the fall time in both states. Right. You know, obviously it's a lesser amount than in the springtime. But we originally were thinking that oh on sundays like we can go hard all through hunting season especially in maine but right. i did a little i double checked my facts on that and ended up being wrong very surprisingly i did not expect that in maine not mass in maine you can't fish beyond what date do you have it up right there i i pulled it up i linked it on the agenda there um yeah, as crazy as this sounds. So, all right, let's break this down. We were uh, we were going to focus on rivers, streams, and brooks. Obviously, that was going to be our our focus. Um, but in the north and south zones, so both zones, there are seasons, uh, like sub seasons, if you will, during the fishing season. So from April first to August fifteenth, open. Uh, to open water fishing. That's that's a given. But then from August 16th, August 16th, dude, to September 30th, open to open water fishing using artificial lures or flies only, 
general law length and bag limits apply except daily bag limit one landlocked salmon and one brook trout see that's both zones so i did know that i remember as a kid we used to go camping in mid-august and right on some of the weekends in mid-august when i was with my parents we could fish saturday and we couldn't fish sunday which was very interesting so i knew that law however i didn't understand the fact that it closes completely closes and this is for uh, so river streams, river streams and brooks. Yep. For both zones, close October, and then in the north zone, all fishing in the north zone is just ceased. Yeah. So for river streams and brooks, it then goes on to from October first to March thirty first is closed to all fishing. Um, but if you're fishing lakes and ponds, obviously that's a different story. So in the north zone. Um, for lakes and ponds, you have April 1st to April 30th, uh, open to open water fishing. Um, and then from October 1st to March 31st, close to all fishing. And as we move to the Southern zone, sorry to interrupt you, but as we move to the Southern zone, you have January 1st to December 31st, open to ice and open water fishing. So like what we were discussing probably a couple weeks back, you know, before we knew this law, we were looking at, oh, they stock, like, I knew the northern zone was closed to fishing beyond October, but in the southern zone, they still stock. So we were thinking originally that we are going to be able to go on Sundays during maybe even rut and hit some stocky right. fish, you know, but it turns out you can't. And yeah, just to talk about mass a little bit, so there's a simil similarity to the bag limit to like the the fall time frame i don't know the exact date i don't have it up right now but you can fish year round on all bodies of water have it be you know brooks ponds lakes whatever but again there's some special regulations on certain bodies of water certain um, tributaries but for the most part the season is open year round down here which is good for me because they stock in this uh the fall so i'm going to be able to do the Sunday fishing down here, but can't right. do so in Maine, which is just very interesting that they stock in the fall, but we can't fish them. Yeah, so I, I don't know if they're, if they're, you know, going into, they're hoping that they adapt to uh, the water source before they get to uh, ice fishing season. I don't know if they're looking to have those uh, particular fish hold over, maybe they're breeders. I I don't know the explanation, um, the justification behind that, really. Um, but, uh, you know, I can come up with some, some reasons or some, you know, theories as to why. But, but we can both agree, and we talked about this, stocking in the fall without allowing any sort of fishing to take place. Oh, it sucks. It, it's stupid. It fucking sucks. It not, it's not even, it doesn't only suck, but it doesn't really make sense because I really don't feel like it's going to actually build a population of fish that survive from mid-October, mid-November to April 1st, roughly. Right. Like right. those fish are going to be just feeding on just very little life. And you're putting in like a couple hundred fish into a single like tributary river, what have you. I just don't think a lot of them are going to hold over that long just because they're stocked fish. And I could be totally wrong with that. But just from 
our experience fishing before spring stocking, we've caught what? You've caught a couple. I didn't catch any this I mean, year. But let me say this. We were grinding, grinding. during those early. We were grinding and not catching fish. So it's like they're not there. Correct. I, I just don't Correct. think they're there. And we made ourselves feel a little bit better by saying, oh, we're just, you know, we're testing out our equipment, which we were, which we were. But I feel like that distracts us from the idea of getting, like, goose eggs every time you go out. Oh, for sure. Because, like, we got, what, you just started, quote-unquote, fishing this yeah. year. Yeah. Like, hardcore. Yeah. So there was definitely a, a good learning curve for you. And for me, it's, right. I got different equipment. I turned to the fly rod, which we'll get into more, but... That whole, that whole aspect is, it, it, it rattles my mind why they don't allow fishing in the in northern zones. Totally fine with that. They're protecting the native fishery. I'm all for that, and you know that now. With when I said oh, I love catching ten to twelve inch brookies and like keeping a oh, couple. Amen to that. <laughs> yep. And throwing most back, like totally fine with that. But in the southern yeah. zone, when they're not going to survive, like why? I just don't see it. I think bass got their shit together on one thing, <laughs> which is yeah. being able to fish year round, and they're all mostly stockies. So, yeah. Hmm. But I mean, don't get me wrong. We're we are gonna be able to fish. You know, I would say the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Closing weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like. September that last week in September that's going to be huge. So we've been talking. There's a lot of factors yes. that go into that. So yeah. we, I've been drooling over it, and I presented the idea to you about we should definitely do one last hoorah fishing trip at the end of September. However, if you're going to try to do something like this, especially in Maine, it's different for mass because they're going to stock, and you can actually watch the stocking report. So you got to watch the temps. You got to watch the rainfall. You got to make sure, you know, there's water levels that are adequate to fish. The water temperature is adequate to fish. All these things you don't really take into consider in springtime because the water's cold and there's plenty of water. Now you got to make sure there's enough water, cold water. Right. And on right. top of that, if it just downpoured because it's hurricane season, we're going to get a lot of tropical storms. The turbidity of the water is going to be another factor you have to take into consideration. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's just so much, like, unknown factors that go into this time of year that's, like, who knows? We'll see. I mean, I'm sure the two of us, there'll be, like, an afternoon, like, the day before, it'll be, like, dude, fish tomorrow? And it'll be, like, a last-minute, like, split decision. Oh, I, um, I, I mean, we've been talking about it. I was saying that, for sure, we're only going to know the week of if we're going to do this trip. Right. Right, because you 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 just don't know with September. It could be like August, or it could be like mid October. You you have no idea, so you got to yeah, be on I, your toes for it. I investigate a little bit more. You mentioned hatches and like methods of fishing. Um, I I liked, I thought of that this afternoon. I was like, man, I got to dive a little bit deeper into that. And in my investigation, because you know I. I'm not a hardcore fly fisherman. I'm not the guy that's tying flies over here. And, you know, I'm learning methods still, you know, ways of fishing. But I wanted to see what, what insects were actually, like, hatching. Um, 
going into the fall season. And I'm not going to go over like the details, specific, you know, specifics of everything. But what I noticed was it kind of, you peak towards like this dry fly sense and then it's dropping back down to like nymphing. So you start with nymphing and then it goes to dry and then it drops back down to nymphing essentially. So I'll build off that. So recently I've been getting into fly tying again. So I kind of stopped for the midsummer time frame because A, I was focusing on scouting for deer season, which all of you should be doing. B, I moved. So that's a big, <laughs> a big factor. So, Bullshit. <laughs> so now that now that I got settled, I got back into fly tying. So I started out with making some nymphs that I love to make for the springtime, just to like get back into it, like enjoying making something I want to make. However, and what was what was that specific nymph that so you made? So I was made making a caddis recent? nymph, a merger nymph, bead headed. So pretty simple to make, but for someone who's very much a greenhorn when it comes to fly tying. It was definitely a learning curve, but I send you some photos. I'll I'll take one once it's perfected and put it on the Instagram. Yeah. They all look good, dude. They all look good. They came out pretty well, but now I shifted my focus, especially today. I was starting to make some fall-time nymphing patterns that can work both in the spring and in the fall, just like universal turkey tail from Teddy. You got it. Turkey tail pheasant, beadhead pheasant, uh, or it's a pheasant tail nymph, but turkey tailed instead of pheasant tailed, bead headed, and they're they're coming out fucking good. So yeah, they look really good. I um, really good. I'm starting to get into the dry fly tying. You know, I made a few atoms today, but you know, it it's definitely a learning curve. Plus my materials, I definitely need higher quality materials for the dry fly. But it's never too early to make fr- make flies in your downtime. What is it? Ninety. It was, for me, it was ninety-seven in mass today. So there's Jeez. no scouting for deer. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna make some flies. I'm not gonna go golfing. I'm not gonna do anything outside. It's just miserably uh, hot and humid. Uh, yeah, you uh, did that I in the morning. This though. morning, you did in the morning. <laughs> I get out of work and it's Ugh. fucking hot as balls out. But I come home. Dude, when I was- putting on 18 i was like what the hell am i doing i gotta get the hell out of here <laughs> you're at like peak time too right around noon yeah we yeah we ended around noon time but you know i get out of work i come home make some flies make flies for the fall and make flies for the the upcoming season and that leads me into my next topic you know we're planning a fall trip i'm gonna skip around a little bit but during this downtime, I've been doing a lot of research for a big, big spring fishing trip. Large. Very large fishing trip. Are we going to mention it now or no? Oh. I mean, I uh, yeah. Okay. Fuck it. Why not, okay. right? It's not going to tease the listeners here. So, we were planning in the springtime to do another big trip, which would have been the Allagash River waterway which was going to build off our remote pond fishing trip that we did right so but we you know it didn't work out you know i got my job whatever so delayed it but i think it was actually a blessing in disguise 
because there was quite a bit of research that I had to do for it that I didn't do at the time, which would have been good to know the weeks leading up to the Allagash right. trip. So right. now, during this off time when it's really hot out, it's never, never too early to start planning for these big, awesome spring trips for fishing. Because, like, deer right. hunting, that's like a, what's the word? Like, it's a little task each day that builds towards the event. But like a, I feel like it's a hurry up and wait type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like you can get well prepared and just like wait it out. I feel like with these trips, there's always something to do. There is always something to research, something somebody to contact, something to you know. There's always something to figure out for these trips, and you, even when you're driving there, are you you're thinking, oh, do I have everything? Are we good? Like, is everything like set? Are we gonna run into any obstacles when deer season comes around? I know what the fuck's happening. Like, there's no question <laughs> in my mind. Yep. So, you know, it's never too early to start planning these big spring trips if you're looking to do something like that. And, you know, I've been drooling over this type of trip for a year and a half now. So, mm. it's definitely gonna be nice once we do it because I'm gonna know everything. Just like when we did a remote fishing trip this year, because I knew every campsite, I knew every body of water, and now I'm going to know that going into the Allagash trip. But I'm putting that work in now, front-loading it, so that it's much easier once, you know, springtime rolls around. I think we're just going to follow the same procedures and strategies that we did going into our northern uh, remote pond trip that we did. You know, the doing the inventory, making the grocery list, uh, the shopping list of what I need to get, um, you know, doing all those things. Yeah. Six months in advance is, I mean, it pays off, uh, because you're more, you're well-rounded going into the trip, but you're also like, oh, just more prepared. Uh, and you know, we, we mentioned recently, uh, I know you're going to be coming over soon and we're going to do an inventory of what we have left over from that trip. And there's a lot of things that we don't need. Tent, you know, sleeping bags, all that shit. We have it now. And um, going into this this uh, Allagash trip, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. We just, you know, maybe a few more meals here and there. Um, some water filtration. And, to, to build uh, off that. So when we did the remote fi- uh, pond fishing trip, we had to do a lot of upfront costs, but for something mm. like this, you know, you can plan your expenses around a trip. Like I'm doing this this weekend, most likely, you know, tentatively. So you can, if you need to make a big purchase, you can save up for the few months, knowing that that's what you need. You've got your get list and you can get it during the time right. when everything's on sale. Cause in October, November, even December fishing stuff is going to be marked way down. You know, maybe it's not in supply, but you can buy it online, and it's going to help you out. And we talked about this when I was over there. Um, did we say what we forgot on our remote pond trip? Oh, shout out to Streeter. Oh, my gosh. We finally figured out from our northern remote uh, pond trip that we did, there was something that we forgot. And if you listen to our previous pods uh, from the recap of the trip, we mentioned there was something that we forgot and we couldn't remember it. And we finally remembered it. Fix a flat. Yep, fix a flat. That was the one thing that we did not get. And we were like, well, we didn't need it, thankfully. Luckily, but luckily for sure. Yeah. But yeah. when you're doing some remote trips like this, you know, there there's a lot of factors you need to take into consideration. If you're doing a river float like we are, you have to think about 
your car drop-off, your car pickup, where your car is going to be. We're taking one car, so we have to figure out, are we getting shuttled in? Are we getting shuttled back to our car? There's a lot more moving parts here yes. that go into this trip. So you got to make sure you cover your bases. You know, I, what I do is I love to look at local knowledge. I get local books made by main guides that have been on the Allagash Riverway. So you just want to make sure you cross all those T's and dot your eyes before you do some sort of trip like this. Because once you're like, oh, it's next week, we didn't figure out how we're going to get into the place and how we're going to get home. Like, Big deal. Dude, we should we should definitely bring like I thought of this. Like jolly like a jolly rancher, like some type of hard candy. Something sweet. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean that that's also and I think fucking raisins aren't gonna cut it. <laughs> I love me raisins, but we we definitely learned from that trip. It was like a stepping stone to understanding yeah. like what we need to do. So you, like if you're a first time like remote fishing trip goer whatever that term is <laughs> mm. like don't just go like to uh, le- uh the hardest level you know build your way up like we talked about i know in the springtime we're gonna do multiple episodes digesting going through all this packing planning and what we did over that trip but you know yep. that's just a uh, to look forward to but Enough talking about springtime. This yes. fall, yes, we are going to try very hard to do one last weekend hurrah, like I said earlier, to yep. get after those you know native brookies. You know, we might not keep. I mean, we can only keep what two you said earlier. One, one. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of catch and release. But I just can't, cannot wait to get my hands on some northern brook trout. Yeah, one brook trout. So, but you know, when when you're going out for it, like a fall trip, maybe I I know for a fact I'm gonna be this way. There's gonna be some cobwebs. You're gonna have to be dusting off the cobwebs. You're gonna be a little rusty. So just be prepared for something like that when you're going out for the first time this fall. Finally, getting some cooler temperatures to go fishing. You know, not it's gonna be cool to see like the landscape a whole lot different too. Mm, Like compared to like the. The buds on the trees, we're going to be seeing, like, actual foliage and, like, leaves falling. Exactly. That's going to be a factor in our fishing, if we think about it. Yes. The leaves on the water? I don't think they'll be... I don't think most of them will have fallen yet, because that's, like, first, second week of October. I think it will definitely have uh, leaf cover, or leaf foliage, whatever, like, turning leaves. But I don't think... We're going to be running into issues where there's leaves on the water. Unlike mass, you know, they're going to do some fall stocking here. So you're going to keep in mind all those factors. But so yeah. if you're going to do a fall trip, you know, you got to keep in mind your location. You got to know your laws, like we said. But we're going to a place we know there's going to be cold water. And there's just generally colder temperatures than definitely down here in mass. But even in southern central Maine. You know, we're going to try to get ourselves into a position where we're going to be with cooler temperature waters, native brookies, you know, no stockies. You know, I'll plan this trip. I haven't planned it yet, but I'll probably plan it within the next couple of weeks if we're even able to do it. I know you will. (laughs) So, but you just have to keep in mind all that, those different, you know, subject matters going into fall fishing. 
Yeah. So, but I mean, it'll be nice to throw a little curveball into the the mix. Um, you know, we get to report out about a fall fishing trip. That would be really, really um, different from what we've what we've done uh, previously. So, um, yeah. Once typically once hunting season starts, that's like, you know me. I'm balls to the wall, like hunting, 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 like twenty four seven. Hey, don't don't count me out on that. You know how I am too. <laughs> and this this is going to be once again completely new. Just fall fishing. It's never in my wheelhouse when I when it comes to you know autumn season. So yeah, I know. I mean, I've never in my life have fished past middle of September. Yep. So. Especially down here, once like even ruts going on on Sundays, I'm going to go fishing down here in Mass because they're stocking, and it's just going to be a totally different ball game. But you know, I love it. I'm not going to be as grinding out days. It's going to be more of yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a victory lap. But it's the icing on the cake. Well, it's the cherry on top, really. Because our northern our northern trip was that that was the icing, man. That, that was, was the icing. For sure, the icing. Next year, our icing will be a little bit later in the summer. But you know, yeah. given what happened this year, you know, big changes. However, right. you know, you know, we're getting into like a little bit of fall fishing, but we cannot forget the main focus of the fall. Uh, my Super Bowl. So, <laughs> changing changing topics here. Let's get into like some. We were gonna talk about this on the previous pod, and we, yeah, we actually moved it to this uh, this agenda uh, when we were recording the previous pod. We both kind of looked at each other like this is a perfect uh, transition to our next uh, our next agenda. So we're gonna be discussing first of all the common myths with. Um, with deer so you know there are things that we hear out there that we're like oh don't do that um and just based on what we've done some research on and whatnot it's just funny to see like some of these myths you know myths are true and then some of them are complete bullshit so So. what we've been trying to do lately is give you a little bit more fact-based not so so much like storytelling so yeah (laughs) <laughs> One of the things that first jumped out to me when I was getting into like myths for deer and deer hunting was when I did hunter safety, they had us put on goggles that right. shaded the colors for what deer see. So deer don't see all colors the same as we do. They see blue 20 times better than humans. So <laughs> one of the big things <laughs> I took away from hunter safety was I went home and I I told my stepdad I was like, stop wearing fucking jeans when you go hunting. <laughs> I don't care if, you know, you're like, whatever your method of hunting is. If you're walking around, right. if you're sitting down in the tree stand, do not wear any sort of blue because blue pops. And and that's that's funny because like my old man, you know he. That's all he wears. He has lined jeans, right? He's got the lined jeans. He's like, ah, oh, they're, good. they're good. And don't get me wrong, they're good. But at least change it up with a different fucking color. Wear your <laughs> jeans, jeans under some sort of, like, white camo. Like, whatever. Now, if they're flannel-lined, those are nice. I will not complain about flannel-lined stuff. But you can just wear, like, coveralls. Like, Now, I'll, I'll go to, you know, go to the, the bat for my old man, though. He would say this. I still shoot deer, right? 
So that would be one of his arguments. The second argument uh, that you know I would say for him is if you're hunting in a tree, like a tree stand, I think you know, I think it would almost be worse in a sense. Some people might argue that, but um, now that I think about it, though, like if you're sitting on the ground, on the ground with blue jeans, eye level with that deer, you're kind of you're fucked. Oh, for sure. But my old man, he does not hunt from a tree. He does it from the ground. But I don't know. So another thing to build off that deer see best because they see blue a lot easier. They're getting a lot more blue light. Right, right. Than we do. So they see best at dawn and dusk when we are like we're kind of hazy, fuzzy looking like right at first light. That's a time of day that they actually see best and they're to their advantage. Well, you got to think of it like this. Their eyes are huge, right? Com- comparable to our, like, eyes. You know, our our retinas, like, are pretty small. Our pupils are pretty small. You know, the pupil itself, what, the size of a pea at most? Look, think of a deer's pupil. Think of how big that is. So, That's letting in so much, like, low light that we really can't bring in. So another thing, just, we I didn't even write this down, but one thing I learned about was, if you look at predator eyes, their eyes are focused to the front of their head, and they can laser in. So if you see, like, like a hawk or eagle eye, like an eagle can see really well because they have, like, smaller pupils they're looking forward. But any sort of prey animal, their eyes tend to go to the side of their heads where they have the wider mm. field of view, and they can see movement very well. But they don't see directly, like, they can't focus on anything very well. Right. So that's just something kind of a tidbit fact right there if you didn't know which is very interesting it's like when you look at a dog versus a cat if you look at a cat they look like they're about to fuck shit up but if you look at a dog they're just like wagging their tail and they're happy as ever (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah i mean it makes sense it makes sense but i mean yeah so another thing many people even i didn't even know this deer have like people think deer have better hearing than humans but right. realistically it's not the case yes they hear very well but what they hear is high frequencies so us humans can hear a broader frequency range of sound right being low thuds to high pitch cracks but deer hear mm-hmm. those higher pitch frequencies a lot better. So when you're clicking off your safety, even though it's not loud to you, to you right. it's loud to them. But when you're shifting in the stand, it's not quite the same noise that they hear. Right. So that's kind of an interesting fact because I always thought deer could hear better than us. Yeah, I mean, just with their ears set up. I mean, look at mule deer. Mule deer have massive ears as well. But, I mean, it's just kind of funny because, like, uh, we'll talk about for later on here, but, um, you know, that makes me just think of all my equipment. Like you were saying, the safety clicking off, you know, your your hunting camo, like all that little shit that you think about. It's like, oh, okay, you start to apply that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've even my, like, my bow holder, I just buy, like, the foot pegs. But I never, like, what I should do is wrap those in tape. So as I set my bow down, there's no tapping. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a lower free, lower frequency and it's no different than like a uh a, a voice box like not a voice box but a uh recording studio 
you know exactly and on top of that you know you bought your new camo which has like soft buttons they don't click when you it put- better with the price i fucking paid for it <laughs> <laughs> damn straight but yeah even yeah i mean that's genius even the buttons yeah they're rubber so like that clicking sound that high pitch clicking sound um is not gonna be picked up now so that's nice so another thing that we talk about a lot and i will still stand behind we both will stand behind is the idea of the october lull so yeah when i was doing some research on this deer movement does not decrease during that october lull like mid-october time frame for like a week or two period however this is a time when they transition to their home ranges for the fall rut time frame so now is that due to food sources or is that due to like environment like cover i think that's more due to just it could be due to food but also just due to rut activity so they're getting into pre-rut around that time so they travel to a different range because pe- uh, people, bucks are fighting over territory. So they're going to go gotcha. to an area where they can s- establish their ground. That's why you can always get a late October new buck showing up on your camera because they're traveling to a new area to s- establish their home base. Uh, but gotcha. it can also be due to the fact that, all right, if you have an alfalfa field, which I saw up when I was at school, that yep. stuff dies you know, once rut comes around, so the deer pattern completely changes and they go to a different food source, have that be, you know, they're foraging for acorns that dropped or a different uh, ag, but that we don't have yeah. to deal with that down or down up in Maine and here in Mass. So I just find that interesting, like, though, like, I mean, religiously, it almost happens the same exact time of year. It does. It, it definitely does. And it's definitely due to those two factors. So, again, your camera might pick up less activity, but technically the deer are moving the same amount, but they're just moving on a completely new, different route that you don't scout, and it's very much not a traditional daily pattern movement. They're going to their home range. So you're kind of in this, like, changing shifts at a fast food restaurant where people are coming in, people are leaving, but there's, like, that gap in between where there's no activity from your game camera point of view however their movement actually doesn't change and it blows my mind to think about this as you were just saying all that like with the october lull you know a lot of things that drive this is you know the chemical imbalance in their body that just makes them like go into rut um how it naturally just like triggers like that and we talked about this on I and I believe you brought it up on a previous podcast about how um it's not the cold temperatures, you know, that, that drives the rut or whatever it is. Like most people are like, Oh, it's a nice cold rut morning, like, oh, it's gonna be good. But it it's not the temperature. I forget what you daylight. Meant, what you said. It's daylight, that's what it is. Yep. So like yep. same with turkeys. I looked it up. The change in the amount of daylight is actually what drives rut and turkey rut rather than crazy. the temperatures. However, this applies for most of the U.S. It does not include southern states. If you're listening from anywhere beneath uh, South Carolina, I think. However, in most of the country, it's going to be the same time frame, even if there's 
moderately different temperatures. Like we had a very hot November. However, yeah. it will be driven by extreme temperature differences. And I mean extreme, where they're like, oh shit, winter just came like that. And they need yeah. to do something about it. But again, emphasize the word extreme. I mean, it's got to be a blizzard in October. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah. oh, it's like a 20-degree morning on October 21st. No, it's like in a very extreme case, and it does not happen often, according to studies online. So even if you think, oh, th- we're getting a cold front, it's going to be frost every morning from October 21st to October 27th, that's not going to drive rut any earlier than when it's going to be, you know, peak rut in the beginning of November. Another thing that we uh, wanted to bring up was, you know, you we we chuckle all the time because we're like, oh, got to bring a pee bottle if you're going to be in that tree long. You know, human urine, does that smell spook deer? And, you know, we've, we've actually done some experimenting here uh, on the Grip and Grin <laughs> Main and mass platform. So I'm going to do a completely curveball to you right now. Oh, hit me. Let's do the camera poll of the week right now. Oh, shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was a curveball. So we'll, we'll talk about this deer urine, but it's going to tie into the camera poll where I can add some information to that. But Yep. So, you know, your camera poll, you... um. Well, actually, I'll go first because this directly ties into my camera poll. So uh, over the last two weeks, you know, I, I pulled my camera every week. First of all, I got a first shooter buck picture. Let's get that uh, out of the way. <laughs> a fucking monster. Have you named that buck yet? I have not. I'm waiting for another picture. Come on, you can, you can name. Well, see, yeah, I it's different okay. for me. It's different for me. Yeah, it's yeah, different yeah. for you because you're hunting one territory hard. I'm hunting multiple territories. Yes, dear. So, yes, dear. let me see him again. But I got a nice shooter buck on camera. But how this ties in doing the camera poll of the week right now is one of the things I did at one of my public land spots was I was getting very little activity on a scrape that I found. So I did this research for the previous pod, and I was like, oh, so some people actually, when they do a mock scrape, or if they're freshening a scrape that's already there, they pee in it. So after 15 minutes, the normal compounds, which like identify human piss, just turns into ammonia, if I'm right. Is it ammonia, I think? Yes. So when you piss on... Outside, the deer really don't have enough time to understand what it is. Even if it's within the 15 minutes, they're going to be curious enough to check it out. But if you piss on a mock scrape, it's going to smell like a deer pissed there. So what I did is I freshened up a scrape that was already there with my own piss. And I was getting no activity before I did that. And then when I did it, it was my hottest camera for the last two pulls that I did. I was getting crazy. bucks. Nothing like, no big bucks, but I never got a big buck on this property, but 150% increase on the amount of activity I was getting, like, just... Oh, it was night and day. Oh, totally different. Like, every day something was hitting it. So, you know, a lot of people think that 
your piss is going to affect, like, deer movement. That is not the case, and, like, I can prove it with my trail camera. But you also did this, right, with your... Um, I did the I did the same thing. It was the day that we went out and um, set up Delta High uh, and Echo locations for tree stands. And, uh, yeah, I... I know from previous experience where the scrapes usually show up year after year. Um, and I remember one, there was one over by the, this like low hemlock branch and took a, took a stick and scraped the ground, set up a camera and dropped my drawers and, uh, marinated the ground. And what the next, I think it was that afternoon or the next morning. I mean, it was shortly after that Bjorn, one of my target uh, deer, was smelling the branch, you know, sniffing the ground. I'm like, oh, shit. And I had Hanson come through, Forky. I mean, I had most of my bucks coming through and just checking it out. And then I even had does come in and check it out. It's not just the bucks that are hitting it. I mean, everything investigates it. So, um, but yeah, I did that... Uh, did that on my my stomping grounds, and do I see an increase with uh, you know pictures and whatnot? Hard to tell because that was a fresh new camera, but I mean it definitely it definitely attracts them to bring them in to get a, a snapshot. And currently, I have a camera out there, and I told you about it um, that I create another mock scrape. Typically, not in an area where I usually see a lot of scrapes. But I was like, you know what? Let's just give it a shot. And I had, gosh, two or three, two bucks, I think, going to investigate that one and some does as well. So having success. For sure. Algash White. Ooh. Good sound. Good sound. So Good beer, too. I think it's fitting for this episode. Two things I want to add to your camera poll. So I had one good buck. But you yep. had, I don't think we talked about, a new buck show up on camera, right? I'm pretty sure I mentioned him. Did you on the Mule? previous one? Mule? I don't, I don't know. Let's just go over it briefly if we did. I don't think we did, though. But uh, So he's definitely got some, uh, some halo blood in him, and he looks like a mule deer because when he first showed up on camera as he was walking through the woods, I go, I was like, deer's a fucking mule so i was like oh that's just fitting i was like i was calling mule but he's got i mean his rack just goes straight up and then palms out and it's it's definitely a different uh different type of rack it's not something you normally see but um i mean it's cool seeing the blood of old deer that we used to get on camera yes because bjorn is definitely flex from Mm -hmm. from those years past Mm -hmm. um and but it's it's cool to see the diversity too yep. of multiple like bucks. So another thing to add, you so we talked about this on a previous podcast. You made a mock scrape and you adjusted your camera settings to video mode. Yeah, I did. But when I I got first of all make the video longer. It was only recording for 10 seconds. Um and I was concerned, we were concerned about uh, possibly, like, the memory of your SD cards and if that was long enough for video. 
each of those 10 second videos that I got only took up 4.8 megabytes. Like that ain't shit, you know, on a memory card. Especially when you're putting in at least 32 gigs of memory, even if it's a micro SD card, like, right. That's just a drop in the bucket right there. So right from your experience, if I do it, which I might over my mock scrape, definitely increase your video time to 60 seconds. Yeah. So if, if yep. you're out there, you're thinking about, you know, trying the video method, if you're looking over a scrape, seeing how they react over a certain area, even if it's a food plot, if you have one, you know, I hope people, you know, we've been checking where people are listening from all over the country. So if California, you know, Kansas, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So if there's a method for you where it applies, you know, just extend that time out. If you have the memory space on your, uh, SD micro SD cards you have a lot of memory on them nowadays the technology is pretty impressive where my micro SDs hold 32 gigs it's a lot of fucking space I mean you can buy the SDs that have what 250 258 gigabytes that's it's just crazy and I bought so I bought some more SD cards just change the subject a little bit going off the agenda we have so Mm. I bought a regular SD card, 64 gigs, six bucks. And it's, uh, I forget the good brand. Is it like SanDisk or something? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a cheapo deluxe. It's the real deal SD cards, you know, class 10. I've, I was researching a little bit. I did too. <laughs> so, class 10 is like the SD card class that you want. I wish we had this on our old podcast, but. Those are the ones that can handle any sort of where you have the shutter flash we were talking about on the previous pod where if you want to take a burst at a high megapixel rate, if you have yeah. a class 10, it's going to be able to handle those like triple burst with low re, uh, reload time easily because yeah. it can transfer the data quickly. So those are cheap, very cheap. I mean, $6, I bought micro SDs. A little more expensive, like maybe ten dollars. I bought a couple of them. I worth the investment. And you can use those micro SDs. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can use those micro SDs with an adapter in a regular camera, correct? I am not gonna say anything on that right now because I did not research that. I've thought about it, but I've not researched it. We'll have to write it down to do it on the next pod. Well, I was informed that, yes, you can do that, but my concern was there's multiple attachments there. More moving parts. connections. More moving parts. And I sure as hell was not going to experiment with that out in the woods. So (laughs) I I will try to remember to talk about that in a future podcast. We we will come back to that on a future date. You have a spare camera, don't you? You, Do you still have that or you put that out? I'm going to do uh, another property. I'm not going to fuck with it on a new property, another public land spot. So, And it's also a camera from 2012, so that also might contribute to that. But I won't do it in that scenario. However, <laughs> what brought us here on the camera poll of the week was sense, you know, human urine. Mm. But transitioning into the next topic, we're going to talk about, you know, sense as a whole whole topic entirety like you as a hunter going from like you know getting home from work to like being in the woods like 
and not just like short-term things, but long-term uh, scent control as well. And so we're going to start with uh, the base scent control. So like you as a person, you know, this is a base. You got to build up from this foundation. So, so one of the first things that you taught me was scent control starting from when you're home before you even go out for the day taking a shower yeah i mean it sounds silly but i mean you ever gone into like a restaurant and then you leave that restaurant and you're like man i just like smell like that restaurant well you know we go to work and whatnot and come home and like yeah sometimes we can be like wow we smell like shit or like another time you're just like i don't smell that bad you have to remember a deer's nose is like this gift that they've been given where they that's their that's their tool you know that's their primary weapon is their nose but yeah showering with an unscented shampoo um, deodorant is like deodorant uh going down you know those scented like deodorants and your body also gives off a a foul smell too um that just and honestly i don't know about you but that deodorant works better than my normal deodorant uh, I you ever... See, I, I think that goes from person to person because I guess I stank. <laughs> because that shit, I need to really apply it for me personally. But no, it definitely works. It definitely works. And another thing you have to take into consideration is, you know, scent control for your camo when you're not hunting. So yes. washing that with the proper detergents, proper dryer sheets. And how yep. often do you do that? It honestly depends. Like, that's a really good question, actually. So, like, uh, because if you do it too much, then you're breaking down your camo and whatnot. Um, if I sweat pretty bad, if I know I had like a shitty hunt where I just sweated my ass off, I wash it. If, you know, if it rained, I wash it. If, you know, it depends on the hunt, I guess. Yeah, so it definitely depends on the hunt. And why I say that is in September, if we're doing an expanded archery hunt up in Maine, you know, it's right. going to be 70s maybe on some days. You're going to walk in. You're going to be wearing, you know, minimal camo, but you're still going to sweat. But if it's December, yeah, you're not going to sweat as much. And sweat is like a big deal to contributing to your odor. So, right. you know, you just have to take it on like a normal a normal week, like middle of October. I'm every week, every other week kind of guy, but depending on how much I go up per week, you know, you can you can yep. kind of tell like if you smell yourself in your camel, obviously wash it. However, yeah. You know, you're spraying down every time you go out. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but You'll notice when, like, all right, I think I probably should wash it. If your gut instinct is telling you that, that it's time. And they have, like, dry wash stuff now, too, or, you know, scent control and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, as soon as you wash your, your camo, dry it. I always hang it outside, even after I dry it, and I'll spray it down um, with some spray. And, you know, over time, if you're traveling, I think the traveling piece Yes, you need a tote, no doubt. No, yeah, definitely, need definitely a tote. no doubt. Because what I used to do in high school when I was home all the time hunting by right in my backyard, I'd leave it right outside. You know, we had a little covered porch, so I could leave it right, right outside, right. hang it every time. 
If you don't have that, like I currently don't, for the past two years, three years, you know, I just get good totes. No, I don't buy like scent lock duffel bags that cost eighty dollars for. Yeah. You know, I'm just buying a tote, covers the edges, seals it pretty well. You know, maybe I have yep. something in there. I maybe have a dryer sheet in there. I always spray yep. it down. When I put it in the tote, the tote is my scent controlled tote. Just have a tote designated for that if you're hunting like me, where you're hunting out of the car all the time, traveling a lot to different places, going out after work. You know, the the worst thing you can do is wear your camo in your car, especially if it's a new car. Get that new car smell and then go outside. Like, just keep control of your camo when you're not in the woods. But when you get to the woods, what we always do, we always spray down a fresh coating of scent killer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Give it give it a nice clean slate, you know. Um maybe you brushed up against your truck. I don't know, like maybe you're getting out of your truck with your camo on <clears throat> inside joke. Um but uh always spray down uh before going in and we experimented with uh different sprays cuz some sprays have like autumn leaves, dirt, like these different like scents. Um and for the longest time, I used this, like, dirt-smelling spray just because I was like, oh, it's what they're used to. It's, like, outside. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, but if they're in the middle of the woods and there's not much, like, dirt or, like, earthwork or anything like that around, I don't know. Like, does it have an effect? Do they smell that and go, that's different? So I, I have switched over more recently to scentless, and I I think it's a it's a better approach. It eliminates or it tries to elim- eliminate as much scent, human scent as possible. So but. I'll come at it. So I also use, you know, the scentless scent killer, but I'll come at it from a devil's advocate. I've used the earthy scents before. I personally haven't noticed a difference, but the only reason I do the scentless one is because. As we've talked about, you know, you've mentored me into my whitetail hunting where now I use it. But from my previous experiments with it, I haven't noticed any real significant difference. However, Mm. make sure to check out the previous pod. I'm going to mention it. Scent Killer (laughs) does go bad after you open it. It does go bad. The expiration date refers to the closed, unopened bottle if you're going to use something from five years ago, get rid of it, get new shit. You know, it's not that expensive. You know, it's a small small investment to getting a deer on the ground. Have it be a trophy buck or just a doe for the freezer. Definitely, definitely make sure you have some fresh stuff if it's not, you know, very recently open. So, I mean, if I had the time, I would, or even locations, I would also experiment with this. If you are going to try, like, the earthy sprays, um, I thought about the fact of like, well, what if, you know, you're in expanded hunting or say you're down Massachusetts hunting and there's like a new development going in or like a new house going in and they're, you know, doing a lot of earthwork. Could you do that earthy spray because that's what they're used to right there? Yeah, I could understand that. That could, you know, potentially work in your favor there. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, I don't I, think it would have to build off that. You know, if you're in like a wetter area, 
it kind of has a natural earthy scent to it, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you're hunting like white pine, you know, on ridges, obviously not. But if you're like in lowlands where a lot of my hunting is taking place, I really, I, I could see the argument for earthy scents. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> that would just be something that I would, if I were to do an experiment, I mean, I'd try something like that. But we'll dive right into this part of it is cover scents. You know, instead of the scents that, you know, you're spraying directly on you, maybe some of these scents you're, you don't want to be wearing, but. Yeah, you know, if, so scent killers, you know, you're covering the human scent, or you're trying to eliminate the human scent as much as possible. You know, you're washing your camo, you're spraying yourself down, you know, you're taking all those precautions. But when you're actually going into the woods, you're walking in the woods, you're getting to your tree stands, you have to take into account, we talked about it and we'll talk about it again and again and again, walking over runs, walking over mm -hmm. deer habitat, a good thing to do pre-rut, post-rut, rut is cover your scent, cover your tracks with either a doe pee, you know, a doe estrus, do a scent drag maybe. I mean, there's a lot of different methods we'll break down right now, but it's going to help in that aspect of scent control because if you're walking in the woods, you know, you spray down scent killer, does it eliminate 99.9% .9 of your scent? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not saying yes, but it'll eliminate a good amount. But that extra percentage and attractant will be built into these cover scents that you use as you get to your tree stand. Yeah. I. As far as, like, the doe estrus, like, you'll hear us talk about that quite a bit of, like, when to do it. Like, we have a, we have a set date that we usually put in place... Uh, before we do that, but like, yeah, expanded hunting, you know, those early season hunts that we have in like September or like the first, um, first week of October or something like that. Yeah. The dopey is a great cover scent, fantastic cover scent. Um, you know, there's a lot of products out there that people try and calm deer down and all this stuff, but like, what's more calming than like smelling another deer? Like, mm. Oh, there's somebody else in the area. Oh, it's all chill. Um, but, uh, yeah. Stay tuned, but what we usually have a preset date of when we start in implementing uh, the doe estrus. Yes, definitely. So when we're doing these cover scents, have it be, you know, rut time, we're doing estrus, or pre or post rut, having it be doe pee. Or if you're spraying up, you know, mock scrape with some buck pee, dominant buck. One, like, you can, there's different methods to apply these cover scents. So I'll quickly hit them, we'll expand upon them, but you can do a scent drag, you know, tie a little bit of a tag behind you, spray it down, wet it down, drag it behind you on your right. boot. You could spray your boots down, that's why I love to do. It has worked great over the years. You know, you can also spray branches, low-hanging low branches, leaves, um, even like a scrape, a mock scrape, have it be whatever scent you want it to be for that time of year, you know. There's... Those three methods, I find, are the best methods when you're going in, covering your scent, going to your tree stand. Yeah. But I would say this, too, is if if you're, if you experiment with those cover scents, you're like, hey, I'm getting pretty comfortable with this. Another little strategy that you can actually do is, say, there's two of you walking in. You know, say Andrew and I 
um, hunt a particular area, you know, I might have him go into the woods first, you know, maybe 20, 30 yards in front of me um, with uh, a doe pee or doe estrus. And then on my boot, I might play around with the fact of like, you know, a buck urine or something like that, just to kind of simulate that natural like doe buck following. Uh, and if another buck smells that, hell, there's a buck over there. Oh, he's following that doe. Like, kind of lay the scene for them so they, that just throws another curveball at them. And they're not just smelling one deer. On top of that, it doesn't have to be within the same day. There's been days where I do a cover scent of doe estrus in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I'll do a buck scent going in. You know? Yeah. There's yep. different ways to approach it where. You know, they're going to smell that doe from the day previous, and then a buck can yep. follow up recently. So you can you can play around with the different variables of the time of year, you know, the activity of the deer, and just, you know, play the game, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that I um, just want to mention quickly about cover scents, and I actually just did this, was... Um, I have a tote that has, like, all the cover scents in it. Dude, I opened up that cover, and you know you get that, like, oh, just that. Deer smell? Raw. Oh, it's it's raw. It's just Hormones. gnarly. On the, oh. <laughs> I opened up that cover. I was like, holy shit. I was like, I got to do something about all these scents, like, coming together. So I took the big Ziploc, uh, like, freezer bags, and I zipped, you know, buck urine, uh, you know, buck scrape, all those things together. I did all the doe pee together. I did all the doe estrus together. So, like, all those in separate bags. Yeah. Uh, and much, much better. So, <laughs> I do the same thing. I store it all in the tote, but then I do multiple layers of Ziploc bags. Like, mm. locking that scent together, you don't want your doe pee to have a doe estrus scent to it because... September when I pull out the dopey it's gonna be oh what the hell is going on like this is not normal right and in that tote I have other things like leftover hunting gear and just shit like that that it's in the same tote but it's starting to like you know pick up on the scent of all this stuff in that in that container so it's oh you know one day I need oh those those gloves that I don't normally wear oh they're in that tote and I use them like that's just a recipe for disaster mm. in my opinion mm -hmm. a lot going on there another thing another item that we use a lot so we talked about scent killers we talked about cover scents but going into in the stand our main yep. uh, tool I guess it's yes. not quite a scent would be ozonics so correct uh, you introduced me to this last year, and we both, like, put my hand on the Bible. Like, I swear to God, like, this shit <laughs> fucking works. <laughs> so we have the Orion. We both have the Orion, which yep. is the highest level of Zonics that we can get. And multiple times, you know, what it does, it, it you screw it into your tree or... You know, if you're in a blind, you have it in your blind. If you're on the ground, on the ground. But we're both hunting out of the trees mainly, so you screw it into the tree. It's a it's a little like what, a six by six kind of eight by eight device, battery electric. Screw it yeah. in, and it creates ozone. 
And yes, there's a little fan, makes a little noise. Does it smell kind of like chlorine? Weird. Yes. I, it smells like a chlorine. Like a pool? Yeah. But it creates an ozone that masks your scent. So you like correct. You face it to the downwind side of you, put it on. Yes. And we both have seen a great improvement of downwind deer activity. Right. So rather those days where you're like you're kind of playing the wind of like, oh shit, it's blowing this way. So I gotta hunt over here or the deer are gonna come this way, I think. And sure shit, they the deer come that way. Cause, you know, deer do they always walk into the wind? No, I've seen it other other times too. But you know, primarily they kind of use the wind to their advantage. Um, but uh, this is this piece of technology is. I mean, I'll put my hand on a Bible too. But I mean, it is absolutely crazy. There are some advantages, but there are also some disadvantages. So, you know, things that I've seen with hunting with it. Um, you know, it, it masks your scent, okay? Uh, the battery life is, it's pretty, f- I mean, it's pretty good. It's you can very do a solid. Good. <laughs> you can do a, depending on the setting that you're on, you can do an all-day hunt with it, no problem, with one battery. Typically, what I recommend, what I would like to do, just because I bought an extra one, I bought <laughs> an extra battery, so that when I come out of the woods in the morning, I, cl- I throw the other one, uh, in charge, and I take the fresh battery and throw it in there for the afternoon sit. Because some afternoon sits, I'm, you know, cranking that thing on high because the wind is just howling, you know. Um, it's pretty compact, as Andrew mentioned, you know, six, six by six, uh, six by eight inches, something like that. It's pretty small. Um, and it's just versatile. You can use it in your blind. You can use it on the ground. You can use it in the tree. Um, there are different ways that you can set those up. Uh, in those hunting scenarios, which is pretty cool. So I will build off that before we get into the disadvantages with it. So, I mean, you have experimented with this. Not experimented, but you've dealt with this, but I do it on a daily basis where, you know, I'm trying to be as nomadic as possible. I don't have any set stand. And I can easily carry my saddle, my sticks, my bow, my rangefinder on one one chest piece and then the ozonics on the other chest piece and it's really when you're moving through the woods it's not a hassle but this will go into the disadvantage is when you get to the top it's kind of sometimes a pain to get that thing into the tree it's yeah i mean you have to like force it and as you're forcing it like turn it at the same time it's it's kind of a bitch but um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just an extra step to like, as far as disadvantages, it's just that extra step of like, oh, like this is going to be a longer setup. Could I leave my screwed in mounting bracket to the tree and then just come? Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do this year. But so I, I want to counter that with, if you're doing a very mobile setup, yeah, it, the whole process to setting up Ozonics in the grand scheme of things, isn't that long if you're doing what I'm doing and I'm hunting a different tree every other day. So, yeah. you know, maybe it's an extra minute. But if you're going in at, like, 3 o'clock or right after work, it's just one extra one extra thing. 
But on top of that, if you're yeah. hunting like a set stand, yes, it's one extra thing. So you can you can cut it two ways. Where yes, it's right. an extra step, but I'm already for me, I'm already doing a bunch of shit. I'm setting up. You know, maybe every time I set a new tree, I have to cut a couple branches. So it's not yeah. that much, but at the same time, it is enough to annoy you. Yeah, and some people like the one thing I noticed hunting with it uh, when I first started using it is the fan that like it almost has like a humming fan like not even humming it's like it's like a weird blowing sound and if it's really freaking quiet like those mornings where you can just hear like a pine needle hit the leaves yeah you can hear it and it sounds so loud but i did a little experiment i got down out of the tree stand last year got down the tree stand i was like you know i drop down 15 feet and I'm standing right below my tree stand I can't even hear it like you would think deer would hear that but it's not it's not those high pitched sounds it's like a very low low type of frequency so to build off what we talked about earlier you know deer hear higher frequencies better I do not think that low frequency is to be a concern even if you go online you look at forums you go on reddit You'll see people like, is the Ozonics like too loud? You're right next to this quiet fan. And it's it's a quiet fan. Like compared to other fans, this fan yeah. is putting out work and you like you're next to it, it's still damn quiet. And to build mm-hmm. off that, you know, some people sleep with like a noisemaker. And that is a white noise. So if a deer is walking through it's just going to be, if if they can hear it, which I highly, like, we can both say we've had deer on top of us. Yes, and they did I was not just going to say. I, and hear, oh, there's the Ozonics machine. You know, it's a white I, noise that they come into, and, like, it's just natural, where it's, like, kind of yeah. like a low hum if they do even right. notice it. Because multiple times, the two of us, we've had deer at the base of our tree stands, this thing is just humming and right above our heads, and they just keep feeding or do whatever, passing through, doing whatever they're doing. But like with your experience up at school, I mean, you had them pretty damn close. Was the wind? So they came what, downwind. Was the wind they came downwind, and then I got a double kill at five yards. So I don't know what else proves it, but. That sure enough proves it for me that A, it works, and B, it's damn quiet. Yeah. And that was literally after you just walked in there because you were sitting for, what, 10 minutes? So uh, a little story time. You know, go back, check into my recap, but I'll build off it a little bit right now. Um, I get up. I set up. Hang my bow. Luckily, I always, you know, knock one put my glasses on and i don't have bad vision but i always wear glasses when i'm hunting because i'm slightly nearsighted so just kind of like if i want to watch 4k tv with my eyes that's what i do and um (laughs) put my hat on didn't even have my mask on and i always have a mask and i hear a twig snap i'm like shit grab my bow and bam shot one called you (laughs) You're like, hello, hello. <laughs> Realize another twig snap, put my phone down, 
Another one. Already, I was already knocked up. Bam, another one. As you're just... on, I didn't even hang up. <laughs> I just put the phone between my legs. I hung up on you. I hung up on you because I was like, what the hell? Did he butt dial me? I'm like, what the hell? Uh, but yeah, I mean, close proximity. You know, those deer are coming right in and had a similar experience. Um, I did have two deer come in. Um, up in my spot here and uh lo and behold it was one of my target bucks that was behind this doe ace and dude that doe like that wind was blowing right towards them and i was like she is gonna snort she's gonna catch my wind had the ozonics running and she just casually like you know she stood there for a solid 30 seconds kind of like what what's going on here and then just kept walking right out in front of me and that just that's just, you know, pulled ace right along yep. to, for me to get a shot. But it's just, it works. It friggin' works. So I want to say two things. Yes, it's very expensive. For someone yes. like me, it is an expensive item. I was yep. lucky enough I had, like, credit rewards so I could pay for the majority of it. So it wasn't as big a purchase. But... You know, we both recommend it. We both love to have it. However, you do not need it to kill a deer. If you're just going out for the first time, Correct. you know, you don't yep. need to spend uh, hundreds of dollars on equipment that, you know, we're using. If you're going out for the first time, you know, you got camo, you got your bow or gun, scent killer, you're fine. You can kill deer with it. This just enhances yep. your probability of success. And Correct. again, we're we we're drooling over it, saying how great it is. You know, you see it on hunting shows like oh the Ozonics and we were both skeptical, right. but you know, we both are believers now. Again, I just started using it last year, but I killed two deer the year before with my bow for the first time. You know, you do not it's not a necessity. So don't don't make yourself believe you need this equipment to kill deer. Go listen to the previous podcast. The last three, you know, we're talking about scouting. That is going to increase your chances exponentially more than an ozone device if you're sitting in a shitty spot. Correct. Yeah, that's well said. Well put. So, yeah. But, you know... That kind of wraps up today's discussion on tomorrow's hunt. We're going to talk about, you know, our last-minute preparations, you know, looking at our bow, looking at our arrows, looking at our actual bow setups for expanded archery up in Maine. You know, it's never too early to start looking at that. If you're in a different state, you know, you might have a September opener. If you have an October opener like here in Mass, you know, it's never too early. Obviously, you should be shooting now, but... Take a deeper look into your bow. You're going to be using it day in, day out. Again, if you're a rifle hunter, same thing applies. You know, we're going to talk about our bows because that's what we're going to be using. But, you know, it's... it's oh, we'll get into rifle. We'll get into, we'll get rifle. into rifle eventually. We will. I won't have much to add. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go off my previous experience. But, you know, last minute preparations for us. I hope, we hope, it helps you get ready for 
the upcoming upcoming openers. And yeah, I mean, if it's not expanded, I mean, first day of of regular archery, you know, just getting ready for those those opening days, um, so that you can have a an efficient opening day. Nothing's worse than getting in the tree scene. You're like, ah, oh, shit, this doesn't work, or oh shit, like that's a good oh shit segment right mm-hmm. there. Um, but uh, as always, folks, get in the woods. And get on the water. <laughs>